I'm Dr. Jay Anders, and this is Tell Me Where It Hurts, where we discuss some of the big challenges in health IT and how we can solve them so clinicians can do what they do best, care for patients. I would like to welcome everybody to a new episode of Tell Me Where It Hurts. Today's episode is going to be centered around nursing. Yesterday was Florence Nightingale's birthday, and it was the International Day of Nursing. So today we have a special guest that has a lot of experience in health IT, nursing IT, as well as just plain nursing and nursing interactions. Before I get into that, I'd like to start out with a little story. When I was an intern in about a 300-bed hospital, I was the only person on the wards that would take care of the teaching service. So I would start out that first day, I had my lab coat just packed with index cards, the Washington manual. Uh, I had a reflex hammer, my stethoscope, tongue depressors. I mean, I looked like a walking supply for medical things. So as I thought I knew everything I needed to know, I found out very quickly I didn't. One of the first people I ran into was the head evening shift nurse, and I'll remember her forever. Her name was Judy Sinclair. Judy had about 25 years of experience. Um, she knew a tremendous amount of medicine other than just the nursing aspect, but actually real medicine. Uh, she was one of those nurses that could treat patients without having an MD if she really had to, I think. But one of the things that Judy taught me very, very early is that nursing is a collaboration with the care team, including the physician. And I learned that very, very quickly. Um, I remember heading down the, the uh, hall to my first code as an intern, and Judy was right beside me, and she bent over and said, Dr. Anders, we're going to get through this. Just calm down. You know what to do. And by George, we did. Uh, patients survived and was transferred to the ICU and then recovered. So nursing, to me, has always had that special collaboration feeling about it. As a matter of fact, I was probably one of the only physicians in my multi-specialty group practice that actually read the nursing notes before I actually saw my patients. Because if I really wanted to know what was going on with those patients, I would read the nurse, the nursing notes, because the nurse would know. And even better if I could talk to her or him before I would go and see them, because they weren't in the hospital for me to take care of them. They were in the hospital for nursing to take care of them. Like I said, this, is, uh, this particular episode is all about nursing. It's going to be focused on that and the collaboration that nursing provides medical care. And to that end, our guest today is Charles Boise, the Chief Innovation Officer of ClearSense, a healthcare data platform company based in Jacksonville, Florida. Additionally, Charles is an assistant clinical professor at Stony Brook University, where he developed and teaches the analytics elective concentration. Charles is a former president of the American Nursing Informatics Association. So welcome, Charles, to our podcast today. All right, Jay. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you for um, the um, collegial story you told from a, a physician's perspective in nursing. And we absolutely feel the same way. So, so thank you for that. Although we're kind of dating ourselves, um, a lot has changed since we both got into healthcare in the late 80s. And uh, we have definitely progressed uh, to a more you know, collegial environment between uh, physicians and nurses. 
And then one other, you know, fun fact about, you know, Florence Nightingale and, you know, yes, we all look up to her from a nursing perspective, but as a nurse informaticist, even more so, as you know, she's responsible for what um, she called the Rose Diagram, a data visualization of data over time that ended up being what we call now, you know, a circular histogram, which is used, you know, quite, you know, quite frequently in healthcare. And then the other fun fact, very few people are aware that she's inducted in both the British as well as the American Society of Statistics, which is a, a really, really big thing. She did a lot of work in, in stats. And again, you know, as a nurse informaticist and, you know, yesterday being her birthday and, you know, kind of nursing informatics day, um, you know, definitely um, the right time for this conversation. Well, thanks for uh, being with us today. It, it, I think it's going to be a fun conversation. I'd like to start out a little bit about burnout with the pandemic being what it is and the really hard working conditions that both clinicians, all clinicians have nursing physicians, everyone that's caring for these patients. A lot of people are talking about physician burnout and especially nurse burnout. So I talk like to talk a little bit about EHR usability because that's been one of my kind of focuses and how that is contributing to, or what could it, what could we do about it to make it easier for nurses to do what they do and try to eliminate that burden? Well, that's a good, that's a good, a good topic to start off with. Um, now from a, you know, a burnout perspective, and if you think about it, uh, in the last 14 months, um, how many new entrants practice have there been, both from a nursing side, as well as a physician side? So, you know, you and I never experienced uh, having to, you know, gown up, glove up and, you know, mask up for, for an entire shift. Um, and some of those 12-hour shifts extended into 16 hours now, or even beyond in many cases. Um, so that, you know, repeatedly, you know, day after day, you know, week after week, and now month after month, absolutely has had a, had a toll on, um, on, on providers. And then exacerbate that with, you know, you know the EHR. And I'll use another um, quote from, you know, Florence. And, you know, she said, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase it, you know, if you must document, but if you do document, only document that which is pertinent and which is related to patient care. And I think that we'll get into the usability for, you know, aspects in a second, but think about um, from a nursing side, all of the things that are being documented because um, let's say, you know, the quality people wanted you to document this and maybe compliance wanted you to document that. And then somebody in leadership wanted you to document and it just, you know, you've got all these, you know, siloed, you know, type of, you know, um, you know, inputs and whatnot. And what do the teams do from a config perspective? They go ahead and do that. And then on the nursing side, oh my God, you've got a, uh, you know, a mismatch of all kinds of stuff. And, you know, if you're thinking about what we've had to do for the last 14 months, you know, if you went back and took a look at, you know, documentation, how much of it actually got done. So I think that, um, you know, outside of, you know, design, which we'll get to in a second, uh, we really got to think about what we are documenting and, you know, I always, you know, had the, my mantra was document, you know, what is clinically pertinent as well as what is, you know, regulatory pertinent and, and that's it. You know, if you're collecting, you know, survey information, figure out another way to do that. And I really, you know, always kind of, you know, held the line there. Uh, now from a usability perspective, 
And we, of course, we're not going to you know name names here. But if you think about these systems that we've been using, they really have, you know, from a front end perspective, they really don't have the architecture uh, and to, to support, you know, what we would really call, you know, usable, you know, environments and, and so forth. So that's kind of where we're, you know, limited. And, you know, the EMR vendors are absolutely doing the best that they can. You know, we're doing the best that we can to, you know, minimize that which needs to be documented. But our real super constraint here is the environment by which um, these user experiences and user interfaces can be um, can be coded in. And that really is a, a big burden. One of the things um, that that I have seen on the physician side, especially, but it, it's right there at nursing as well, is that nursing is not involved with the design of these systems and what really can augment what they do in their workflows. You're exactly right. There a lot of things are scattered all over and you have to document this for one purpose and that for another, when really sometimes it's the same thing. So by doing your nursing practice, you should be able to cover most of all of those things. Um, what's your opinion on how more we should be involved in the actual design of these systems and how they do and how do what they do in their workflow? Sure. So, so that's an absolute necessity and it has to be in, in a focused environment. We tend to rush, right? We tend to, uh, you know, try to get things done as quickly as we can. Uh, and we very seldom get time to just, you know, think about what we're doing uh, and really, um, you know, contemplate and focus uh, on, you know, what is the best approach? You know, how can we put our, you know, workflow into the EMR in the best way possible? It's more like, you know, some deadline has been put in the ground and we're rushing to it. Um, so take that away and to answer your question, you know, a little bit more specifically, uh, yes, you know, nursing should be at the table. But nursing should be at the table at the basic levels as well as the hierarchical levels. So look at, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, that um, I'm going to be the best person in the room. I'd be the best person in the room to help guide the conversation. But I need the folks that have been on the job for three months, for a year, for two to five years, 10 years. I need all those people in the room with the understanding and the attention that, we're here to, you know, to make this as best experience as possible. And I don't have 30 minutes because I got to run back to, you know, take care of a patient, right? That's the environment that we really need to, you know, do this, you know, thoughtfully. You know, we, right now we call it optimization, right? Um, but optimization really means that we didn't quite get everything right when we went live. Then we're now going back and we're trying to, um, you know, try to get it right and so forth. So I think there's um, an excellent opportunity for us to, you know, be very thoughtful and diligent in this optimization. And it's going to go on forever. It really is. But again, you know, kind of going back to you know, what we talked about previously, document what really needs to be in there from a, a workflow perspective and do the best you can with the constraints. We have constraints, you know, um, functionally on what can go into that user interface and how those, you know, designs can be, you know, how we can do the design work. But if clinically we understand those limitations and we can push them to the max or have a basic understanding, then we can do the best we can in those environments. And that's really kind of what we have to, you know, push toward. But it really takes, um, it takes an effort and it takes um, a commitment for those that are doing this type of work 
to thoroughly understand the work that they're designing in so they can translate um, that, you know, that workflow into the, into the environment. Now, we're both clinical informaticists after being clinical people uh, to begin with. And being into clinical data, one of the things I see a lot in EMRs as a whole is they never give much back to the provider that's actually using them. It's a one-way street. Things go in and they go into that black hole and then you try to find whatever you put in that black hole. But it shouldn't be like that, I believe. Uh, But in terms of data, what do you think should be the focus of that clinical data that the nurse puts in? And how should that be returned to them to actually help them do what they're doing? Sure, that's that's an excellent question. And let's go back to you know, how these clinical systems evolved and what they evolved from. They evolved from financial and scheduling systems, um, primarily, you know, financial systems. So the goal of all of this is to drop a, a proper bill, correct? Do you agree, do you agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. They're all billing systems, whether it's in a hospital or a clinic. The hospital so, is collecting RVUs for a hospital bill. So, um, so the initial intent might have been um, appropriate at the time, but you know, you know, going forward, you know, not not so much. So, um, a lot of the work that that I do, Jay, that um, that I think is is relevant, you know, to your question, is what, you know, what you know, what can these systems do do for me as, as a nurse? And I'll take it to the, you know the, at the at the basic level. If you think about you know certain patients, um, classifications of patients, from a demographic perspective, from a diagnosis perspective, from a you know, treatment plan perspective, we've got a lot of knowledge in those um, EMRs in the back, in the data in the back end. So that really should, um, you know, project and help guide us through, you know, patient care. And what I call it, Jay, is I call it a situational awareness, um, understanding a little bit about the patient over the, you know, the, the, the near past, what's going on now, and what's likely to occur in the, the near future. So if you look in a you know, high acute, acuity environment, then I have a pretty good, from a machine perspective, from a data perspective, I have a really good idea of what's happened with this patient you know, over the last couple, three hours, what's occurring now, any t- subtle type changes. And then based on what is known as nearest neighbor modeling, I have a whole database, if you will, of patients like this that can help guide, you know, nursing and other clinicians through, you know, what should I be looking for? Um, what are the possible, you know, conditions that, you know, what can be occurring in the near future? So if I have somebody that's progressively uh, changing, you know, physiology, but it's so minute that I can't, you know, perceive it as a human being, but the machines can do it, then I can, hey, you really kind of need to take, check your, you know, levels of titration, or, you know, there might be some, you know, volume loss here, you know, just some helpful hints and whatnot. And then from quality measures, you know, we always talk about retrospective quality measure reporting. You know, this data is also pertinent for helping um, us understand where a patient is at any given time for meeting quality measures. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've always been a proponent of let clinicians practice medicine, nursing, physicians, whatever, and let the machine work out what needs to be recorded for all the quality measures and other things with appropriate reminders from time to time to, to make sure that happens because we're not perfect. We need to be reminded but it's not the first thing that you're thinking about when you're caring for patients. It's a secondary or even a tertiary 
consideration to make sure you've done all of that. Now you're the chief innovation officer of ClearSense and it's a data confidence company from what I read. Would you like to talk a little bit about that and what you're trying to do with clinical data and trying to get good data to do something and solve that garbage in problem? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I'll talk a little bit about, um, you know, from a, from a practical perspective, uh, we won't get deep into the technology and so forth, but if you take a look at, you know, many of our you know systems in healthcare, whether they be uh, the electronic medical record or financial or other clinical systems, um, we have, um, you know, issues in, in data quality. So just bringing, you know, data across and then, you know, doing analytics on it, uh, whether it be, you know, quality reporting, um, you know, forecasting, or even, you know, real time, you know, running, you know, machine learning or algorithms against it um, is, is, is somewhat flawed because we need to take that data from, you know, um, from its, uh, you know, source system, you know, get it into a, a raw state, if you will, so we can understand the underlying you know, deficiencies. So then we can then enrich it to a, um, you know, curated state, if you will. Um, and what does that look like? And you, you deal with this all the time. Um, I bring, you know, data in and it's ontologically incorrect. So I have to do ontological right sizing because, you know, way, way back when, when we were rushing through all of this, you know, Loing SNOMED CT, uh, you know, RX Norm, you know, the ICDs and, and others weren't, you know, that well paid attention to. And yes, the coding may be correct in the ICD, but we allowed, you know, free texting from a problem list. So it's, you know, it's a little bit of a, you know, pain in the neck, if you will. And there's a lot of, um, you know, null values, inconsistent values and things of that sort. So a lot of the work that we do from a machine learning perspective is the ability to, you know, right size those ontologies to, you know, correct those you know, deficiencies so that we can get it into a, you know, curated state, if you will, so that it's, it's usable. In addition to that, um, you know, healthcare is very domain specific. So if you're able to, you know, understand you know, patient domain, you know, provider domain, and you're able to get that data to the point where it's, you know, trusted and usable by all, you know, from a domain perspective, then, you know, the quality people can use it, you know, provider systems, you know, this very well, large healthcare organization, you know, may have, you know, hundred provider systems and none of that data is correct. Um, and if we take it back from a, a nursing perspective, you know, just understanding, you know, you know, various patients by, you know, classification and how best to provide nursing care going forward. It's, it's important that, you know, we classify those patients correctly and then we're providing, you know, the proper information at the proper time because the, um, the underlying data is correct. And it's not so much in the, the natural state of the electronic medical record, unfortunately. And that will speak to the giving something back to the person actually using the system. If you have good data in, you can actually present data back at the point of care that would actually assist somebody as opposed to multiple mistakes or mismatches in data that will give a very confusing picture if, if presented back without some type of uh, massaging and filtering and trying to put things together that a clinician actually will put together in their mind when they're doing what they do. Yeah. And, you know, I, I call it, and you, you said the word properly, I call it uh, intelligent assist. You know, most folks talk about artificial intelligence, but how can we use machine learning and, um, 
and other you know, advanced technologies to actually assist in patient care. Um, not be prescriptive where we're telling them what to do, but we are providing you know, information that you know, produces a cognitive trigger that allows both um, you know, nursing as well as you know, uh, physician staff to, um, to, to, to make some decisions. So if you think about um, you know, early sepsis, which is really important for all of us, you know, regardless of you know, our profession, inclusive of, of the family. And we know that, 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 that progression of sepsis is nonlinear. It's a hockey stick. You know, the earliest we can detect, the earliest we can get. And all that data that we're putting in to these systems you know, has, and I'm not talking about you know, filling out a MUSE uh, you know, checklist or whatnot. I'm not talking about some rules-based system where we're waiting for the last piece of you know, data to be checked off before we you know, raise our hand and right wave the, you know, the sepsis flag. There's other things that are contributory towards, you know, sepsis that are in our EMRs. So by collating all of that and presenting it to, you know, a clinician saying, hey, look at over the last, you know, three hours, you know, physiologically, these things have occurred. And oh, by the way, from a lab perspective, guess what? Your ABC count, you know, your, your white blood count is, you know, kind of coming off the chart. But we as human beings can't be in the chart waiting for that blood value to come back. We can't do it. But a machine sure as hell can and collate it and actually present it back so that we can say, hey, this patient is going to enter a sepsis pathway or no, they're not, and then make the necessary adjustments. So we have the underlying data. We just have to get this information back or at the point of, you know, discharge, hey, look, from a social determinants and from a, this patient's demographic and most uh, patients like this, this patient needs to go to a skilled nursing facility or rehab, or you better damn make sure that the patient's family is around them because we're going to have a little bit of trouble getting this patient to adhere to um, discharge instructions. And oh, by the way, you better get those meds and you better give them a bag because guess what? They don't have transportation and CVS or Walgreens is pretty far away and they're likely to, you know, just, you know, come right off the radar. So those types of data points are, you know, in our EMR, we just need to get that out to the clinicians, you know, at the proper time in their workflow. That's a very, very good point. Very good point. I'd like to switch uh, gears just a little bit here and talk about the 21st Century Cures Act and the Open Notes Initiative, uh, which I am absolutely four square four. I'm a, as a clinician, I'm a little uh, apprehensive about how that will be implemented. They're going to start enforcing data blocking rules, so we'll be able to share information as we should have all along. And that's been one of the problems with the pandemic is the fact that we have not been able to share valuable, accurate information about who has what and how many people are hospitalized and things like that. When I see the CDC getting information on a flat file about these things, it just kind of scares me just a little bit. Hopkins had much better data in what they were doing. But that's going to be augmenting things like care planning and medical management needs and things like that. What's your take on the Open Notes Initiative and how that's going to assist or detract from patient care? Sure. So, um, and, you know, we probably, most folks probably on the line know what uh, Open Notes is. Um, if you don't mind giving it just a really quick, either you can do it or I can do it, but I'll let you do it. And then we'll um, continue the discussion because I want to make sure 
as we go through that the folks um, are, are familiar with open notes. Well, as a um, really brief definition of open notes, uh, this is the requirement that patients have unfettered, unfiltered access to all of their medical information that is stored in electronic healthcare. Uh, the couple of issues with that is that it's stored in multiple different places. So getting a complete picture might not be able to be done simply because we're not sharing it. But essentially that's what it is. Patients have the ability to go in and look at all of their medical information. In addition to that, there are rules in place to allow or to prevent blocking of that information being transmitted both between institutions and from institutions to a patient. Excellent. And I think that the other part of this that you know, needs some discussion is there's a feedback loop from the patient's perspective, correct? Correct. And that's something we're totally unprepared for. <laughs> Absolutely. So if I look at my medical record and I don't agree with, you know, whether it be, um, you know, nursing notes or physician notes or the surgical, you know, report isn't me um, or anything of the above, or I didn't say that in that, in, you know, that clinic visit, um, I have the opportunity to uh, append that. And, you know, how is that going to, you know, happen? Um, and so that's, that's number one, you know, number two, is, you know, I know that we've made some, um, you know, excellent advances from an interoperability perspective, um, but thank you that regulatory wise, that's gonna be forced and totally forced upon us and it needed to be forced upon us. Once that's in place, then I think the, you know, the information from, you know, from payer to provider, from provider to provider and so forth will be better served. And from the, um, you know, perspective to the, the patient a, as well. Uh, and, you know, if you think about, you know, records and completeness, you know, we have, you know, various interface standards, you know, fire, et cetera, not quite developed out to, to transmit the entire record. How can we, how do we, how do we um, transmit an entire record now? And I'm kind of smiling as we put it in paper form in PDF form and, and send it off, right? We send exactly. out some type of file transfer that um, isn't machine readable. Um, it is human readable. And the best we can do is put that in our document storage and hope that the receiving provider actually has the time to open it up and roll and scroll to the, the point that's, um, you know, that's pertinent. So um, do I have a magic bullet to this? No, I don't. But um, we better get this thing you know, figured out and we better get it figured out real quick. I'm very grateful and I'm very happy to see the feedback loop from the patient back to the, um, to the, the healthcare you know, provider. I think that it's really important that um, that is in place. And what we didn't talk about is how do we assist the patients in understanding what the heck is in that record that they're looking at? You know, where's the, uh, where's the data dictionary for them to, you know, the terminology, where's, you know, where's their reference uh, and how do we, you know, you know, how do we help them understand, um, you know, our jargon, if you will, our terminology um, and how do we put that all in layman's terms? Yeah, I think uh, Google's going to get a workout when patients start reading these things. They're going to be searching for what does that mean and why is this value? It's abnormal, but really for me, it's not abnormal. And what does that mean for me? Uh, so there's that whole cadre of having to translate that 
into pure patient ease so they could understand it. And I think there's going to be a lot of back and forth before we ever get this worked out. But I absolutely believe that patients need to read their medical records because as we all know, me included, there were things included in my medical record that were incorrect. So you had to go back and correct them. And I think that's a great idea. And, and I think if, you know, from a, and we have to talk about this, you know, from a uniformity perspective as well, where, you know, hospitals differ even within the, the various IDNs, correct? Mm-hmm. But if we are able to um, universally um, put in place documentation that is universal and is coded with all the various ontologies, then we've, you know, kind of succeeded in putting together, you know, a platform of, you know, uh, of data, if you will, that is trans- that is transmittable and is, um, you know, interoperable. And you know, that's kind of one of our failing points, you know, currently. Yes, we can do, you know, um, you know, labs. Yes, we can do meds because of, you know, Loink and, you know, Rx Norman and so forth. But not every healthcare organization has the wherewithal and has done the work to, you know, properly, you know, codify, you know, nursing notes, codify, you know, uh, clinician notes from an H&P perspective, all the way to consults, um, clinical, and, and so forth. And that really is an, an effort that, you know, needs to happen to make um, this truly interoperable. And then from a patient perspective, to make it, you know, digestible on their side as well, mm-hmm. because then they'd have the opportunity to, you know, look up terms that they're not familiar with. Well, we're kind of running out of time. So I want to ask you, I asked this question of all my guests. If there were one, is one thing in nursing IT or healthcare IT that you could change. So you're now king for a day and you've got one thing you can change and everybody's going to follow it. What would it be? It, it would be for me and, you know, my colleagues, um, both from whatever the, whatever the discipline may be, whether it's, you know, medical, uh, nursing, uh, you know, our, our colleagues in, in, in pharma and, and whatnot, is to be able to have the same experience that we experience with our apps on our phones, uh, apps on our, our tablets, um, even applications that we use that are web-based in the electronic medical record, electronic health record. Um, we are constrained by you know, certain technologies that don't allow us to um, have that you know, experience and, um, and usability that we really need. Um, and I get, I'm gonna ask for two, that's one of them. And the second one is um, the elimination of um, uh, nuisance alarms, whether they're generated within the EMR or whether they're generated from, um, from you know, devices and whatnot that we work with on a daily basis and that were placed there for purposes of, of legal avoidance as, as opposed to you know, what's actually needed to you know, do our work. And I think I'll kind of leave it at that. That was a very good answer. And I'll give you two. That's, that's okay. It's kind of hard to come up with one. It's not a really easy question. So Charles, if someone wants to get a hold of you um, at ClearSense, how would they do that? If they want to know more of what you do and how you do what you do. Sure. Um, absolutely. Check us out at, you know, clearsense.com uh, or, you know, um, you know, contact me directly at C Boise. So C-B-O-I-C-E-Y at clearsense.com or Charles.Boise at stonybrook.edu. Charles, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a great conversation. All right. Thanks, Jay. 
really appreciate hanging out with you. And it seemed like this went like in three minutes. So it's uh, <laughs> fun. Thank you. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to Tell Me Where It Hurts. Tune in to Healthcare Now Radio and Podcast Network each month for the latest episode. To learn more about Medicomp Systems, visit our website at www.medicomp.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at MedicompSys or myself at MedicompDoc, or check out the show notes for links. See you next time.